Gracious God, thank you for bringing us to a new week, and we ask your blessing upon us as we study the book of Jeremiah, specifically chapters 7, 8, and 9. We pray that we would hear a fresh word from you today, and that your grace given through this text would help us to be your faithful people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you that enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings and let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly one with another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know, I too am watching, says the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, says the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name, in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your ancestors, just what I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, just as I cast out all your kinsfolk, all the offspring of Ephraim. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us, when in fact the false pen of the scribes has made it into a lie? The wise shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken since they have rejected the word of the Lord. What wisdom is in them? Therefore, I will give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors, because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They acted shamefully, they committed abomination, yet they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time when I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. When I wanted to gather them, says the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, no figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. Why do we sit still? Gather together, let us go into the fortified cities and perish there. For the Lord our God has doomed us to perish and has given us poisoned water to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. 
We look for peace, but find no good for a time of healing, but there's terror instead. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Thus says the Lord, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth, but let those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will attend to all those who are circumcised only in the foreskin. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the Ammonites, Moab, and all those with shaven temples who live in the desert, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. All right, thank you for that great reading. So to take us back to the top, Jeremiah chapter 7, the word comes to Jeremiah again and instructs Jeremiah to stand at the temple gate and there to proclaim to all those who enter the temple to worship to not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And because Hebrew didn't have exclamation points available often when something needed to be repeated, it was thrice repeated. So we see this with Isaiah's call, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Whenever something is repeated three times, it's a matter of emphasis. And here, this thrice repetition of not trusting in the temple is Jeremiah's way of saying, okay, so he's already condemned the people for trusting in idols, for Baal worship. He has condemned the leaders for trusting in military alliances with foreign nations like Assyria and Egypt. Um, but now it seems that Jeremiah is also going after the worship they conduct in the temple, and more specifically, uh, the manner in which they're going through the motions and trusting that you know the temple is the Lord's presence and that as long as they go through the motions and make the sacrifices that God is with them— and Jeremiah says, don't trust in such deceptive words that the Lord can withdraw his presence from the temple and the temple itself can even be destroyed. And we're going to get to that in a moment with this reference to Shiloh. Um, but notice what it says. Let me dwell with you in this place, says the Lord, but first amend your ways and doings. And so Essentially, what God is saying is that I am not dwelling with you in this place, and you're just kind of going through the motions here. And don't trust that by going through the motions, that's going to be pleasing to me. We're going to see a very similar point being made with respect to circumcision, right? The people externally are circumcised. They have the external sign of the covenant, 
However, their heart, God says, is not circumcised. Their heart is not dedicated to the Lord. And Jeremiah's critique is going to be the hearts of my people are not fully mine. And for us, this raises some very interesting questions, right? To what extent should we be trusting in the church and in the institution? Because what we don't want to do is the opposite error, right? There's a lot of people out there today who will say, oh, it's just about me and Jesus. Uh, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I don't need the church. I don't need an institution. I don't need any of that. And that's really kind of a false spirituality that has individualism and a, a lot of things in the background of that. So we don't want to go that direction. But at the same time, um, the institution without the Holy Spirit isn't tradition, but rather dead convention. Um, you know, someone once said that the difference between tradition and convention is that tradition is the living faith of the dead, whereas convention is the dead faith of the living. And we're dealing with people who are caught up in religious convention here. This is the dead faith of the living, people who are not giving their hearts to God, people who are going through the motions uh, and saying, you can trust in this temple. God gave us this temple. And God basically says, if you're trusting in the temple, you're trusting in the wrong thing. And Jesus dealt with this in his ministry, right? Uh, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But of course, he was speaking of the temple of his body. Um, when speaking to the Pharisees, he said, something greater than the temple is here. In saying that, he was claiming to be God because only God is greater than the temple. And so, you know, if one is going to make an idol, I suppose it's better to make an idol of the temple uh, than it is to make an idol of Baal, you know, the, the Canaanite god. But still, the temple can and has become an idol, and God says, don't trust in the temple, trust in me. And then in verse 5, he says, if you trust in me, what does that look like? It looks like true amendment of both your ways and doings. It looks like acting justly with one another. And of course, that Hebrew word, which I'm going to hold before us in the study is mishpat, right? Mishpat is one of the Hebrew words for justice. It's not just about fairness, but it goes beyond fairness. And so one of the examples I used on Sunday is I think we can all agree that all else being equal, uh, men and women should be paid the same wages for equal work. Like, I don't know many people who would say that that should not be the case. Uh, and so mishpat is not just making sure that men and women receive the same paycheck, but it also looks at any systemic factors that reinforce uh, inequality in pay. It looks at biases and tendencies in our heart that might lead us to paying a man more than we pay a woman, right? Mishpat looks at the full package. It's not just about arranging the exteriors it's about getting the interior of the heart and of society right. And so God is saying, that's what I'm looking for. That's what true amendment of life looks like. Uh, but then in verse six, there's this warning to not go after other gods. And then God says, whenever you do that, it's to your own hurt. 
And that is also a big theme in Jeremiah. It is to our own hurt that we go after other gods. The consequences of their idolatry, um, Babylon sweeping in, um, this is not so much God saying, hey, gotcha, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. This is more the natural consequence of the people forsaking the covenant. And anytime we forsake the covenant, anytime we choose ourselves over God, it is always to our own hurt. It's like that great Frederick Buechner quote about forgiveness that, um, you know, failing to forgive our neighbor is like drinking poison and thinking it's going to kill someone else. You know, idolatry is the poison that always kills us. And so that's going to be Jeremiah's point. And whenever we get to Jeremiah's lament and his sorrow and his hurt, that's all part of it. Why is he so upset? Because people are hurting themselves by forsaking the covenant. In verse 8, they're trusting in deceptive words, right? They're stealing, they're murdering, they're swearing falsely, they're going after other gods. And then they're coming into the temple and saying, oh, we're safe. Um, we're fine. And Jeremiah says, has this house become a den of robbers? That language should be familiar because in John chapter two, Jesus enters the temple. He sees uh, the way that uh, people are, you know, selling doves and sheep and it basically turned it into a marketplace. And he overturns the tables of the temple and says, you know, you've made this place a den of robbers. And so Jeremiah um what what he says here is something that Jesus references in his ministry and something that was just as offensive in Jesus's day as it was in Jeremiah's day. And Jeremiah takes it a step further. He says, look what I did to Shiloh. Do you not think I'll do that again? Uh, if it's been a while since you've read the book of Judges, uh, Shiloh is like this uh, portable tabernacle place of worship before the temple was created. Uh, it was where God's glory dwelt. It was movable and portable. Uh, but because of the disobedience and wickedness of the Israelites, God allowed Shiloh to be destroyed. And essentially what God is saying through Jeremiah is, this has happened before, right? The place where I have put my presence and name has been destroyed before because of the people's wickedness. Just because this temple is bigger just because of the promises I made to David, uh, don't think that this can't happen again. Um, because ultimately what you're called to trust in is not a house, but rather me, the living God. And some of the seeds of this were present when David and Solomon built the temple. Remember, it was David who wanted to build the Lord a house. And there's this great verse where God says to David, Will you build me a house? No, 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 no. You're not going to build me a house. I will build you a house, right? That's where we get the, the name, the house of David. You know, God was being ironic saying, I'm going to build you a legacy. You're not building me a legacy, uh, but your son Solomon can build the temple. But what kind of quickly happened was uh, that temple, um, uh, it, it failed to be a place where people were truly caught up in the worship and, and glory of God. And so the Babylonians destroyed that temple. And uh, maybe one of these days we'll read Ezra and Nehemiah. Those are books about uh, post-exile of 
the people rebuilding the temple. Uh, in chapter eight, the people are claiming to be wise. And then we have this great verse, the wise shall be put to shame. This uh, makes me think of what Paul writes in Corinthians, where he says, where are the wise of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? And of course, the wisdom of God is displayed in the cross. And so this posture of claiming to be wise, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Why did Adam and Eve eat this piece of fruit? They wanted to be wise. Uh, that's what the serpent offered. You know, you're going to be wise like God. You don't need God to be wise. And here it is that same original sin being replicated. Uh, a manifestation of that in verse 10, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. Oh man, this is a hard one to read. Everyone is greedy for unjust gain. You know, surely not I, Lord. Um, I chose to be a priest. I could have made a lot more money doing finance. I drive an old stinky Highlander that I'm ashamed to have my neighbors or anyone else ride in because it smells so bad. And it, you know, sounds like a kitten being tortured every time you turn it on. I give a lot of money to the church. Uh, most of our vacations I do on points and miles. I'm not greedy for unjust gain. I'm a humble priest. No, I'm greedy for unjust gain. Um, th this brings us back to, you know, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans where he says, is there a righteous one? He says, no, not one, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it's interesting, you know, Jeremiah says, from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. It's not just the powerful. It's not just the rich. It's not just the privileged. Even those on the lowest rungs of the ladder, as God looks in their heart, that same greed for unjust gain lives there too. They just find themselves losing the rat race uh, to 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 be the recipients of that gain. And, and so that's a tough critique to read and, and one that we all have to look at and to say, where does that live in my heart? But then there's this other verse about how the leaders are treating the wound of God's people carelessly. And the image that came to mind as I was praying over this passage is, you know, imagine new parents dropping their kids off at daycare. Uh, they both work and they entrust their six-month-old child to, you know, some facility they pay to care for their kids from eight o'clock to five o'clock. And, you know, turns out that... Um, you know, little kid, I guess they can't crawl at six months. We'll say they're 14 months. They, they're they standing and they fall and they hit their head open. And the little kid is on the ground crying and no one tends their wound and no one gives them their milk and no one gives them their snack. And, you know, they're just lying on the ground from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And that's how the parent finds them when they pick up their child. I mean, not only would you remove your child from that facility, you'd probably file a lawsuit for negligence. But essentially, God is putting the leaders on trial here for negligence because they're not caring for the people. And worse, they're saying everything's fine, right? So you go, you pick up your wounded child and the daycare worker says, oh, the child's fine. You're like, no, the child's not fine. They're saying peace, peace when there is no peace. And they don't know how to blush, verse 12. This idea of blushing means admitting our fault, right? You blush when you know you've made a mistake. And the people here don't sense that they've made any mistake. 
there's this verse 813 about not having figs on the fig tree. I won't go off on too much of a tangent here, but you think about Jesus's prophetic ministry when Jesus cursed the fig tree because there were no figs to be found on that tree. Uh, this was not because Jesus was hungry and because he was mad at the tree. Jesus was aligning himself with the prophet Jeremiah, right? We are that tree and God wants the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be manifest in our lives. No figs on the fig tree means no love in the heart, right? So what is God cursing or what does Jesus curse? Jesus curses any institution. I mean, Jesus is, is really, I mean, I mean, Jesus knew Jeremiah 7, 8, and 9 by heart, clearly, because so often his critique of the religious establishment was similar to that of Jeremiah's. Um, once we get to Jeremiah 8, 18, we have Jeremiah mourning for the people. His joy is gone. Grief is upon him. His heart is sick. And as many commentators point out, it's not always clear who's mourning. Is it Jeremiah or is it God? Because the prophet and God feel very fused as you read this book. And I think the answer is both. And these verses give us a window into the heart of God, right? God, God's heart is sick over all this. You know, God's not laughing. God's not sitting back having a scotch and smoking a cigar, you know, as his people fall apart saying, told him so, you know, I mean, cause that's what we would do, right? We, we have that, there's that, that, that uh, phrase schadenfreude that the Germans, maybe Nietzsche coined where we take pleasure in the misfortune of others. That is not to be found in the heart of God. God's heart is sick whenever we reap the consequences of our action. There's this question, is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? And I just think that's a great foreshadowing to uh, the king who comes to Zion riding on a donkey. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Uh, we think of Jesus's words, those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. For I've come not to... Um, call the righteous, uh, I've not come for the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. So Jesus then says, I am the answer to that question. I bring the balm. I am the physician. Uh, Gilead, before this was a great song, it was a place known for its medicinal plants and, and herbs. And so essentially what Jeremiah is looking for is healing. And so in verse nine, this is when, I'm sorry, in chapter nine, this is when God responds to Jeremiah's lament, okay? So one of the things that's very easy to miss in Jeremiah, especially when we skip around, is that you have a lot of back and forth. You've got conversation between God and Jeremiah. You've got Jeremiah speaking to the people. You've got, you know, these symbolic things like going to the potter's house. But this is a conversation between God and Jeremiah. And so now Jeremiah is responded to by God in chapter nine, thus says the Lord. Okay. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom. Got it. Uh, that brings us to, you know, Paul's words, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. Um, I am the Lord. I act with love, justice, and righteousness in these things I delight. So what does God delight in? God delights in love, justice, and righteousness. But then 
um, there's these final verses. The days are coming when, when I will attend to all those who are circumcised only in the foreskin. Now, what does this attending look like? Um, that's a larger question, but we get all these nations. And at the end of the book, God speaks to each of these nations, um, Egypt, Judah, Edom, Moab, um, and these nations are uncircumcised. And then we're told, and the house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. And so the point being made here is that Israel is really no different from Egypt, Judah, Edom, the Ammonites, Moab, and the uncircumcised. Basically, you know, Jeremiah and God are lumping Israel with all these pagan nations. But whenever you hear the words, the days are surely coming in the book of Jeremiah, the days are surely coming, it usually signals a message of hope and salvation. So, so later on, we're going to hear the days are surely coming when I remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Um, so the days are surely coming. This kind of signals a moment of hope. And, and I think it's really important for us to hear that. So as we go into conversation, just to recap, um, there's a lot in this about not trusting in the temple. You know, for us, that raises the question, where do we trust in the externals of religion, but don't actually give our heart to the Lord? Uh, what does it mean for us to truly amend our ways and doings? Uh, what does it mean for us to not claim to be wise apart from God? Where are we treating our own wounds or the wounds of God's people carelessly? Uh, what are the figs that need to be on the fig tree of our life? What fruit does our life need to bear? Um, in what sense is God's heart sick over the choices we make? Uh, and what does this tell us about the depth of God's love? Uh, and then finally, this idea of being circumcised in heart. What does it mean uh, for circumcision to be of the heart, for our relationship to the covenant to be one primarily where even though it's not just me and Jesus, it's not a modern day spiritual but not religious kind of vibe, it doesn't lose sight of the heart.